All right, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> well, because I, I didn't expect to be up here earlier, but I stepped on my own lesson a little bit, you know. This is the end of the year, if anybody didn't know that. New Year's Eve. <clears throat> We're talking about a little bit about the time is running out. While we need to be redeeming the time because the days are evil, uh, we were created for a purpose, for a reason, so we need to make sure our number one priority ought to be is knowing what that eternal purpose was. Why were we created? There's a reason. Um, one of the things that Jesus said that was, well, interesting and so true, that his people would be in the world but not of it. So being in the world, and you see that in John chapter 17, then we're affected by it, and obviously there's things for us to do. We don't just sit around and wait to go to heaven someday. Uh, one of the ways that God provides for our needs is through gainful employment. So we have jobs, we need to eat, and need to sleep, and, you know, we got stuff to do, walk the dog, paint the fence, whatever, all that stuff we need to do. We'll be in the world, but he said you won't be of the world. Because his people can go through in the new birth, a transition period, transformation, of actually putting off the old mindset and put on a new mindset. And everyone's behavior, all human behavior, comes from a mindset. Well, if you had an old mindset and it was set to the earth and it, uh, you did what seemed right in your own eyes, and I think we all know how that generally works out. I know for my life it was a disaster and I don't think I am any different than any of you. But the new mindset is a mindset on things above, where righteousness dwells. And you see the transformation results in fruit of the Spirit if you're born again. And that's quality of life. Well, who doesn't want quality of life? People down here want quality of life. All over the world they want quality of life. That's not so unusual. But if you try to get it through the old-fashioned way of just your own understanding and your own mindset, there's a way that seems right to a man. The proverb tells us in 14 and 12, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Well, you don't exactly want to go in that direction. Well, we've all been there and done that. So it's the mind that's going to be set on the things above uh, that's going to bring forth what we're looking for, the true quality of life. While we're in this world, not our home, just passing through, uh, but we can enjoy the journey. Because that's one thing about the faith-based program. You can still have joy and peace in believing while you go through tribulation. Figure that one out. That's what the scripture says. Is it true? Yes, it works too, by the way. But you know, if you're ignorant of those truths, those facts, ignorance is just darkness. It's like blind men groping along the walls. You'll never find what you're looking for. Hence, the word of God, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Jesus is a light, a lamp. He said, I've come as a light into this world that people don't have to stay in the darkness no more. And he said that 2,000 years ago. 
The Bible tells us in Genesis 1 and 14, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens that divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons and days and years. This whole celestial, uh, uh, heavenly be, uh, planets and sun and moons and stars, all these things, it's a clock, a cosmic clock and you can set your watch by it that's how they do it <laughs> that's how they set. that's how they set the time based on all this tick tock tick tock this big cosmic clock by the way which is running down moving to entropy slowing slowing down cooling down until it levels out. Now I got a feeling it's never going to get that far because God is going to blow this place apart. The heavens are going to explode with a great noise according to Second Peter chapter 3. The elements will be on fire melting with a fervent heat. Because what's driving the second coming of the Lord is not a calendar or a clock. Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour when that's going to happen. He said, the angels don't know. In fact, at that time, he said, I don't know. Only my Father knows. So the second coming of the Lord is event-driven. The Lord knows those who are his. See, he knows how many he's taken with him. He has... A number in his mind, and only he knows what that number is. When that last living stone, I'll be ending in that context probably somewhere here in a few minutes. Because something's being built. And that something is the temple of God. And that is ongoing right now with living stones being harvested from every nation under heaven. And when he has what he's looking for, when that last one is brought in, boom! Jesus said, oh, I have a fire to kindle on this earth. And oh, how I wish it was already kindled. He isn't into this, but this is necessary. This is necessary. It was prophesied. It's always been this way. So the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. Time is passing by. Time is running out. I like this psalm here. Psalms uh, 39. Psalms 39. See, in our sojourn here, we want to make sure we are aware of the passing of time and our progress. We can enjoy this journey. This is not a drudgery. This is not a burden to be born. This is freedom. If people got ears to hear and eyes to see, God allowed us, I don't know if we'll see it here in a second. Uh, yeah, let me give you that before I read this. Other. I'll just give it to you to me and I just said it. I like how Moses said in, in Psalms 90, because I'm coming back to this one. Verse 3, you turn man to destruction and say, 
Return, O children of men. You know, that's so true. God allows us to go right into the darkness and, and go nose diving right into the gravel. And then he calls us out of the darkness, Peter says, into the marvelous light. Look, it can't work the other way around. This couldn't start out with us in the light and go into darkness. That wouldn't end well. The idea is you're in the darkness first. Now, granted, when you're kids, when you're little, children, unaccountable, no knowledge of good and evil, you're fine. You're not exactly in the light, neither. Remember, part of that criteria is that you have no knowledge of good or evil. You're innocent. That's why you're not guilty. Jesus said, unless you become like one of these, one of these little children here, you cannot, no way are you going to heaven. What was it about the kid that was so acceptable? Innocent. However, no knowledge of good or evil. See, children can be taught right and wrong. Good and evil takes maturity. And that's what happens and did happen to each one of you of accountable age in this room. You were alive apart from the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and you died. Paul said, happened to me. Happened to me. Commandment came, sin revived. Paul said, I died. What kind of death he died? He's writing the epistle. Death of Adam and Eve. Separation occurred. Uh-oh, what happens when that happens? Well, you can't heal yourself. You can't fix yourself. You can't redeem yourself. You need a redeemer. So the Lord came down here to seek and save that which is lost. And if you want to, if you can hear it, you can come out of that darkness and into the marvelous light. You can build from there. Uh, go from milk of the word to meat of the word, mature in Christ. And when you're finally in that process and whenever he calls you home, even if you're not quite done yet, it's okay. If you're a work in progress and you're on the assembly line and quality control says it's good here, it's good here, it's good here, it's good here, like a car on the assembly line. I mean, the thing ain't done till it comes out the door and rolls down the street. When you die before that happens. Well, the last quality guy said, hey, it's perfect right here, perfect right here. It's okay. God's grace has got the rest of it covered. If you're a work in progress, hey, some die young, right? Some come later. 11th hour and 59 minutes. Man, let me get going here. What am I talking about? You turn man to destruction, and then you say, return, O children of men. But the passage I wanted you to see was in Psalms 39. I like how David says in verse 4. Psalm 39, verse 4. Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am? Indeed, you've made my days like a handbreadth. You know, like one of these, like they measure horses or whatever. I guess that's a good measuring tool. Or, you know, a, a cubit, you know. We got all these measuring things on our bods that we can use. You've made my days like a handbreadth. My age is nothing before you, certainly. Every man at his best state is nothing but a vapor. Like James says, your life is but a vapor, appears for a little while, and it's gone. 
like the morning mist. How substantive is that? We're pretty flimsy. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. Busy, busy, busy. He heaps up riches and doesn't even know who will gather them. You ain't taking it with you. Job said that. Naked eye kid. He lost everything, right? And one afternoon, herds and flocks and kids. He said, you know, I brought nothing in this world. And I ain't taking nothing out of it. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul makes it clear, I think, First Timothy 6. You ain't taking nothing with you. You didn't bring nothing in here. You work your butt off to get all these riches, and you don't even know who's going to gather them. You ain't taking it with you. And now, oh Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Verse 11 says, With, When you rebuke, you correct man for iniquity. You make his beauty melt away like a moth. Surely every man is a vapor. Now, going back to that Psalms 90, I said we'd be going back there. Uh, as far as time goes, with that verse I read in verse 3, you turn man to destruction, say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight. This is Moses speaking of God. A thousand years in your sight is like yesterday when it was passed. Where God dwells, there is no time, no calendars, no watches, no nothing. There is no time. That is an earth thing. That's a human thing. Time is a physical thing. And God is not impacted by that at all. He's outside of the physics that run this place. Above, apart, and independent of the physical realm. His realm is eternal. That's where we're going. Moses continues then... The days of our lives, verse 10, Psalms 90 and verse 10, the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they're 80 years, that their boast is only labor and sorrow, it's soon cut off and we fly away. Verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days. That's what David said, show me my end. That we may gain what? A heart of wisdom. We need to apply these minds that God gave us. That we can reason. Come, God says, let us reason together. Man has the ability to reason. That sets us apart from the rest of the animals on this world, or in this world. Now I'm going to Ecclesiastes, which is right after the proverb. And it says here in the book of Ecclesiastes, I'm thinking chapter 7, uh, I use a lot of this stuff in funerals. Hey, it works. Verse 1, Ecclesiastes 7 and 1. A good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death than one's day, the, the day of one's birth. Now, how many people would believe that? You know, you say, man, you're getting ready to die. Man, that's awesome. Hey, man, shut up, man. What are you talking? Get him out of here, man. This guy's crazy. Is that true? That the day of one's death is better? 
Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, of course, the context is if, you, if you've applied your heart to wisdom, if you've asked the Lord to show you your, your days, if you paid attention to your own physical body, the outward man is perishing, but the inward man can be renewed. Now, only a born-again Christian can be renewed on the inward man. That's why you must be born again. That's what the good news, when the angel heralded in, we just went through Christmas, the angels tell us, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, that he came, the angel told Joseph, Mary's uh, husband, he's coming to turn the people from their iniquity, from their sin, to save them from their sin. Save them from themselves. You know, the only people that don't apply, Jesus said it, man, in John chapter 3. There are people that don't come to the light, Jesus said, because their deeds are evil and they love the darkness. Woo! You see somebody out there and you can tell they love the darkness. You better get away from them. They are dangerous people. It goes on all the time, man. We got this 24-hour news cycle. They say, have things on there. Man, why'd you even say that on there? I didn't want to hear. One of them talking heads read something, what they did to the women in them tunnels. I said, man, why'd you leave me with them images? Shut up. I don't want to hear it. Because they love the darkness. You can't reason with people like that. You threaten to blow them up, they like the idea because they think they're going to a better place where they get all these virgins or something. Fools and blind. Don't get me on that, man. I can't take it. Sorrow. Oh, no better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Why? For that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. If you got your head screwed on straight, if you got eyes that can see and ears that can hear, that statement is so true as well. To go to the house of mourning, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Obviously, the house of mourning would be like a funeral home. Well, somebody's life just ended and they're gone. Okay. But it said the living will lay it to heart. The living, that's us. Long as you're still hearing my voice I guess you're still alive you may not look like it but I'll assume you are okay James chapter 4 now he is also one who quotes the, the fact that our lives are just simply a vapor in James chapter 4 but I wanted to get some context here it's verse 13 James 4 and 13 come now you who say, hey, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city. We'll spend about a year there, man. We'll buy, we'll sell, and we'll make us a profit. Yeah, what do you think of that idea? That's a great idea. Whereas you don't know what's happening tomorrow. What is your life? It is a vapor that appears for a little while, and then it vanishes away. Instead, this is what you ought to be saying. If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that but now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil therefore to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it to him is a sin what the good we need to be doing is preparing ourselves 
We were created for a reason. We have to get our priorities straight. It's the Lord that said you're going to be in the world. So yes, we have things to take care of. Yes, we do. Again, gainful employment, buying, building. You've got to do all those things. But just remember, if the Lord wills, you don't have no control over your life or the day of your death. In fact, there's a good one for you. We'll just go to Luke 12. Luke chapter 12. Jesus says the exact same thing. You know, the mouth of two or three witnesses of Scripture, every word will be confirmed. These principles are true. In Luke 12, starting in verse 13, then one from the crowd said, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over? Don't even bring that stuff to me, Jesus said. Take heed, he said. Beware of covetousness. One's life doesn't consist in the abundance of the thing that he possesses. So then he speaks a parable. Great with the parables because, boy, they drive the point home. These physical examples with heavenly or spiritual meanings. Jesus said, the ground of a certain rich man yield plentifully. He thought within himself saying, well, what shall I do? Since I have no room to store my stuff, man, things are good. My crops are just bursting at the seams at my barns. So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull my barns down, build big ones, bigger ones. And there I'll store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take a break. Take your ease. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, foolish one, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lay up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know what Jesus said? If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things that you're worrying about, oh, what am I going to eat, man? What am I going to drink? What am I going to put on? What are we going to wear? Jesus said everybody worries about that. He said, don't you think your heavenly father knows you have need of these things? Of course he does. He'll take care of you if he's birds, don't he? Jesus said, you ever seen a skinny sparrow? Well, you see the grass of the field, clothed, the field, God clothes the field with the grass. He said, but Solomon in all his glory wasn't clothed like one of these, all these beautiful wildflowers of the field. Here today, tomorrow cast into the oven. He said, get your priorities straight. Seek, straight. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added. But if you're out there going and thinking, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this and do this and buy this and build that and boo, boo, boo. And all focused on the things of this life. He said, your time is going to run right out. You've just missed the whole point for what you was even created. Those things are important, but just make the priority straight. Find out what God wants. And let me give you a hint here. You will find that what God is looking for and what he expects from you and what he, he, he desires is going to take place in you, but it's going to be just north of the roof of your mouth 
and just behind your eyeballs. All that God is going to do and looking for and wants for you is a transformation, but it's going to take place in here. You don't have to sell your house. You don't have to quit your job. You don't have to live under a bridge and eat rats, take an oath of poverty. No. Keep your house. Keep your mailbox right where it's at. This is going to take place in the inner man. Hey, we can do this. We can walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. It's amazing how he designed this. All he's saying is priority. Find out what you're created for. It's real simple, actually. It's transformation. He's conforming you into the image of his son. Romans 8, uh, 29. Those whom God foreknew, he predestined that they would be conformed to the image, the character of his son, that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn of many brethren, and I add, just like him, according to the law of the harvest. Everything brings forth after its own kind. And that's his intention. What does that translate into in real time for you and for me? Quality of life. Well, hey, sometimes people ask, what's that look like, you know, when led by the Spirit or strengthened by the Spirit or mindset on things above? What, give, me not, give me a practical example, man. What does that look like, man? I've said it up here before. Think Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. Notice I didn't say Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth was a man. Born of a woman. Grew up in Ho-Dunk, Nazareth. What good? Anything good come out of Nazareth? Apparently something good came out of Nazareth. The quality of life that he had was he was a man in the flesh. Did many hate him? Yes. Did they persecute him? Later, sure. Yep. Mm -hmm. Did they kill him? Uh Uh-huh. And he was glad to do it. He had quality of life. Do you think he was tormented by fears, uncertainties, and doubts? Do you think he was tormented with lust and hatred and bitterness and jealousy? No, 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 no. What, what was the quality of his life? What flowed from him? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness. He was kind. He was long-suffering. Did he ever get angry? Yes, he did. And he had a darn good reason to get angry. Read your Bible. God gets angry all the time. It goes to wrath on people. But when you read the context, you can see, man, they brought that raid on themselves, man. They had that coming. God puts up with it, puts up with it, and puts up with it till he finally blows his stack. And then it's like, Moses, get out of the way. Man, he was going to wipe them people out. Moses was pleading with God, don't do it, God, don't do it. Man, the ground claved open and slammed shut. I <laughs> mean, people falling in this pit. Woo! They had that coming, man. That's not his strong point either, by the way. Love is his strong point. Mercy endures forever. He said, I am a jealous God, and you can provoke me to wrath? He said, yes, you don't do that. I find no fault when I see the Lord going to wrath. Man, after he bent over backwards and did everything for these people, and they spit right in his face. 
Ooh, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God, and they had it coming. You know, when they came out of that bitter bondage, of that captivity, it was the Persian kings, after they defeated the uh, Babylonians, Cyrus, uh, according to prophecy, uh, set the Jews, or those that wanted to go back and rebuild the temple back in Jerusalem. But it was stopped. There was a lot of persecution uh, there uh, in their building. It was put on hold. And it was put on hold all the way till the time of Darius. Then it was jump-started. But when God looked down at his temple mount, the temple wasn't built yet. The foundation was there, but it, all the construction was stopped. So in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. God says, now remember, they've been in bitter bondage. They were dragged off to Babylon, Babylon, Babylon in captivity in chains, thousand miles across the desert. They were there for 70 years. The temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. It was flattened. So when the Persians defeated the Babylonians, Cyrus let them go back, and they got started, but they got stopped, and they let it sit there. So God looks down, and he speaks to Haggai. Thus speaks the Lord, verse 2 of Haggai chapter 1. This people say, well, the time hasn't come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai by the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? And this temple, my house, he said, is in ruins. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You've sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but you're not warm. And he who earns wages puts, puts those wages in a bag with holes in it. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He says to his people, now go up to the mountain, bring the wood, build the temple that I may take pleasure in it. Build my house is what he says, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it come to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Because the Lord of hosts, says the Lord of hosts, because my house is in ruins while every one of you runs to your own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withhold its fruit. I call for a drought on the land, the mountains, and great. Look, you get the idea what he's trying to say. Your priorities are all backwards. All you think about is your own stuff and what you're doing. And what I want done is not getting done at all. So you just keep right on working, 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 working. I will frustrate you. So they get the idea. They say, got it. Okay. They turn that around. They get going. God said, I'll open up the windows of heaven for you. These lessons are tremendous. Because, see, we have got to get our understanding fruitful enough to speed on what's said at the scripture. The temple is to be rebuilt and the Bible teaches us right now that temple is being built as we speak. 
The temple is not on Temple Mount. There will be no temple on Temple Mount. That is so, the people that think that do not pay any attention to the scripture at all. Amos 9.11 says that that temple of David has to be, the tabernacle of David has to be rebuilt on Temple Mount as it was in the days of old. But let the Bible speak to you because that temple is not brick and mortar. It never was going to be brick and mortar. Don't forget what Jesus said. I'm going to big John chapter 2 right now, the gospel of John chapter 2. And Jesus went into God's temple. It basically was called Herod's temple uh, because after the, after the first temple was uh, destroyed and rebuilt, it never had the glory that the previous one did when they came out of the captivity. The temple that existed in Jesus' day was called Herod's temple. It was bigger. And when he went in there, they had the place turned into some kind of a bazaar, buying and selling and goats and sheep and money changers. He went in there with a whip, it says in John 2 and 15, and he drove all them out of that temple, the sheep, the oxen, poured out the temple. The money changers table overturned the tables. I love to see that. He said, get these things out of here. Don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then the disciples remembered later that it was written, zeal of your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us that you do these things? Jesus answered to them and said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said it took 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days? But he spoke concerning his body, the temple of his body. After he had risen from the dead, they realized that's what he was talking about. It ain't a brick and mortar one. It's the temple of his body. You know what the scripture tells us? And I'm just going to Colossians for just a quick second. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the head of the body. What's the body? The church, he says. Colossians chapter 2, well, no, chapter 1. Verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. I don't know, see, maybe it was earlier today, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible tells us that the body of Jesus is the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Talking about how we all collectively make up of this body. Uh, and then he says in verse 27, 1 Corinthians 12 and 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Now in Ephesians chapter 5, you know this one. We are members of his flesh and of his bones. He talks about the church. It's a glorious church, having no spot or wrinkle, verse 27, that she, the church, should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his flesh, but nourish it and cherish it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. I don't know how more literal you can get 
And then he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, don't you know that you, 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 verse 16, are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Amos 9.11 says that temple has to be rebuilt as in the days of old. And he says the Gentiles will be the one building that temple. Zechariah 6 says the same thing, and so does Zechariah 13. The Old Testament tells you, as Jesus, Paul says right here, plain as day in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, telling that the, the Christians, these are Gentiles. Ephesians are Gentiles. That tells you right there in Ephesians 2, verse 11. Paul said, remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what was called circumcision made in the flesh by hands. <clears throat> But he said, now there is no more separation between Jew and Gentile. No longer, no more. He himself, verse 14, is our peace. He's taken the two of us and made us both one. Took away that middle wall of separation. Verse 16, that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, the Jew and the Gentile. Uh, and then he came in verse 17 and he preached peace. To you who are far off, that's Bible talk for Gentile, and those who were near, that's Bible talk for Jews. For through him, Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore, Paul said to these former Gentiles that are now Christians and brought in together with the Jews, no more separation. Now therefore, verse 19 says, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. You're not way out there somewhere. But fellow citizens, he said, with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built, gathered together, built together for a dwelling place for God and the Spirit. That's the prophecy of Amos 9-11 when you go to Acts 15 when they had a big camp meeting in Jerusalem about, well, we're bringing Gentiles in. Do we need to circumcise them? Some says, oh, yes, unless they're circumcised after the manner of Moses, they can't be saved. Paul said, no, no. That's not right. Oh, well, then you need to go to Jerusalem, take it up with the apostles and elders and figure it out. Well, they figured it out. And James is the one that quotes at that meeting, Amos 9-11. He said, this scripture's fulfilled. Gentiles coming in because this is the building. It's never going to be a brick and mortar building over in Jerusalem somewhere. Jews believe that. Because, see, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Jewish mind is blinded in reading the Old Testament. Because if you looked at the Old Testament only, you would think, well, that temple has to be rebuilt. It's the New Testament that unpackages it and tells you that body, like Jesus tried to tell the Jews when he went in there and drove all them critters out of there and flipped over the money changer tables, 
They go, hey, what are you doing? Who will give you this? What sign are you going to give us to tell us how you be doing this? You know, who the heck do you think you are? He said, I'll give you a sign. Destroy this temple. And I'll raise it up in three days. You know, they never got it because when you go and he's hanging on the cross, in Matthew chapter 27, they're mocking him. They're laughing at him. Hey, you, Mr. Know-it-all, you who say destroy this temple or, and I will raise it up in three days, ha, 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 will come down now from the cross and we'll believe you. They're mocking him. We already read the scripture. It says the apostles and the church understood after his resurrection. He wasn't talking about that temple. He was talking about this temple. It always was the temple. Jew and Gentile coming in. On the foundation of the apostles and the prophets being the chief and him, Jesus, being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building has been fitted together as a dwelling place for God and the Spirit. This is the temple, brethren. You are the temple. If you have the Spirit of God in you, you are the temple of the living God. So what kind of shape is his house in? Haggai said. God says, consider your ways. You're busy building your own things and only to focus on your own stuff, buying, building, getting gain. And my house is in ruins? Consider your ways. He said, you'll work and work and work. You'll clothe yourself and be cold. You'll eat and still be hungry. You'll drink and still be thirsty. You'll bring home all your money, put it in a bag with holes in it, and I'll blow it away. We were created for a reason. That's what's actually going on. But it's not like you've got to quit your job, move, sell your house, go be a missionary or something. Hey, some people want to be a missionary. Go ahead and be a missionary. You know where you're... Jesus said in John chapter 9, and he walked around ministering to all the cities and villages and healing the people of their sicknesses and their disease. And he had compassion on these people because they were wandering around like sheep without a shepherd. Then he told the apostles, he said, look at this mess. It's all ready for you. I've got it all prepared for you. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. He sends laborers into this harvest. Of course, he sends them. He said, they're all ready. Bring them in. Peter said, you are living stones. I'll give you this. First Peter, he said, these were stones, living stones. Hey, right there in First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. Verse 5. You, Christian, you're living stones. You're being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And you, garden variety Christians, I put that in there, verse 9, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. That's what's going on here. You know how old that is? How old that is? 2,000 years old. That teaching, that instruction. Still in effect. Nothing changed. Priorities. 
You know, the time is passing us by. Sand's pouring through the hourglass. Every second that we didn't didn't have our mind set to the things priority-wise, where we ought to be, is gone. The minute is gone. The hour is gone. The day is gone. Now the year is gone. The year is gone. You'll never get it back. Now, I've already said, that doesn't mean you have to change your physical lifestyle necessarily go to work plant your garden paint your fence walk your dog who cares because all of this is going to take place right here the transformation of the renewing of your mind I'll close with this I don't know if that's even in my thing here but I got to give you this if you're a born-again Christian, you are no longer supposed to walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk because they're in darkness and they're ignorant. And that was you before. I'm just right there in Ephesians 4 and 17. This I say, therefore, Paul, uh, testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of the mind. Why? Because you already did that. That's where you came from. You were called out of that darkness and into the marvelous light. So don't be walking like that no more. When your understanding was darkened, when you were actually alienated from the life of God, separated because of the ignorance that was in you because of the blindness of your heart. Why would we want to go back to that? This is not how you learn Christ. We've been called out of that darkness and into the light. If indeed you've heard him, verse 21, Ephesians 4 and 21, if you've heard him and you've been taught by him, Jesus, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It takes place in the mind that you put on the new man, Put it on in the mind, transform in the mind. Well, if your mind is set on things above, you've been taught by Jesus, you're still stuck here. But you're going to start to enjoy the journey because you realize you were created for his glory. Your quality of life is going to start changing. Or why would you want to go back to the old life that you put on the new man which is created according to God? in true righteousness and holiness as the temple of God, as the people of God, called out of that darkness and into the light. That's what's going on, brother. We need to make the most of the time because the time is fleeting, the time is running out. Time is an earthly thing. But sometimes we get all focused and we go off to do all these other things. He said, foolish one, how do you know your life will be required of you tonight? And then who gets all your stuff, he says. You can't take it with you. If you have blessings in this life, thank God for it. But turn, make sure the priority is right. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you will be blessed here. Thank you for your attention. Happy New Year. See you tonight, 530, for our potluck. A little program.